Hallelujah. It's been an awesome one in this past four days, and I'm trusting you have been blessed. If you have been blessed, just shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. Anybody that is not here is missing. They are missing out, and they don't understand. We'll know why they are missing, and we'll know why they are not in this meeting when we go through my study. So I want to thank the pastorate of NECF, pastorate of our church, for the privilege to teach in this meeting. And I want to thank you know, Pastor Olu as well for being here and uh, for me to be able to minister, you know, under the anointing <laughs> and in the anointing of the man of God. Hallelujah. Alright, so today we are we are dealing with, we've been dealing with series of matters, evangelism and we've dealt with discipleship and Pastor Fred just concluded on that. And for this next one at 30 minutes we'll be talking about prayer. I'll be teaching on prayer, right? prayer. So you can write it down. Prayer, a participation in the Spirit. That's the title of my teaching. So you write more when I'm teaching. So the, the prayer, right? Prayer semicolon, a participation in the Spirit. Now one of the things I've learned over time that keeps people going in anything they do is understanding of why they do what they do. Do you get me? What makes man effective in anything they do is an understanding that is behind what they do that makes them effective. So today we want to understand from God's word what prayer is and how is it a participation in the spirit. If you don't know why you pray, it means that your prayer might not be effective and you might not pray effectively. Let's put it that way. So if you don't understand why, what prayer is, you will not be able to pray effectively. It means that you can dumble around things and series of prayer points and you are still not praying. Do you get me? That you can pick up a lot of list of things and do, but you are still not praying. So we want to understand why and how we should pray. Why should we pray? I'd like to go to Philippians chapter 2. So title is prayer, a participation in the spirit. Philippians chapter 2. Do we have it on the screen immediately? Philippians chapter 2. Prayer, a participation in the spirit. It said, if there is any encouragement in Christ, chapter 2 verse 1, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, let's read this again. It's asking, so if there is any encouragement, so Paul is writing to the Philippians and he's saying, is, is this, if there's any encouragement. So another way to actually phrase this is that to say, is there encouragement in Christ? Is there an encouragement in Christ? Is there a comfort of love and affection in Christ? Is there a participation of the Spirit in Christ? Now, the answer is no answer. Why? Because what Paul was doing here is actually a rhetoric question. He's not expecting an answer. What Paul is saying that in Christ, there is a participation in the Spirit. Do you get it? 
In Christ, there is what? A participation in the spirit. In Christ, there is encouragement in spirit. In Christ, there is comfort and love in Christ. So he's not trying to ask you, well, if there is any encouragement, if you think that there's any encouragement in Christ, you know, if you think that, if you, no, he's not saying if you think. He's trying to tell you that there is encouragement in Christ, right? So the focus is now there is a participation in Christ, right? I'm going to explain that subsequently in the teaching. That there's a participation in Christ. And prayer is one of those participations you participate in, in Christ. Okay? So prayer is something you participate in, in Christ. I'm going to show you a scripture. I'm going to explain the scripture. And I'm going to tell you why prayer is a participation in the Spirit. But the first thing I'm trying to tell you, there are a series of things as a person of the Spirit that you participate in, Right? You give a word of knowledge, you give a word of prophecy. We encourage this participation in spirit. Prayer is one of those things, right? All right. So we see that there's participation. There are things we participate as a person that is in Christ. Okay, so Romans verse 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 26. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. So likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be altered. Now, the wrongest assumption is to say that you are sitting down and you are not doing anything and the Spirit is just helping you to pray. That would be the wrongest of them. That is not what the scripture is saying. So, this scripture does not mean that you are doing nothing and sitting there. I'm going to explain that. I'm going to show you two words that explains that this is actually you praying and the Spirit helping you to pray. Right? Not you being idle, not you folding your hands and saying, I'm not praying or sitting. And it's not talking about your sickness. Right? So, the word weakness is there. It's not talking about your sickness. It's not talking about that you you are sick or you can't pray in terms of praying in tongues or you are in a state of your body or your mind is weak. No. Thank God he's explained. He said, for we do not know what to pray for, right? That is a limitation in your knowledge of what to pray for. So the Spirit teaches you, helps you to do what? To pray. So how did I know that? If you go to the same chapter, Romans 8, verse 3. If you go to verse 3, in my own version of the Bible, right, I think it's ESV uses the same word, weak, weakened, right? But used in the past tense. So it says, I mean, KJV is more reliable, you know, sometimes we still have to hold on to KJV because KJV did not use the same word, not even in past tense or continuous tense, for this that I'm going to read. So verse 3 says, for what for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Now, the word weakened by the flesh here is that the law is impotent. It's not that the law is trying to do something. The law cannot do anything, right? The Lord was created there to condemn you, to point to sin, to say this is a sin, right? So it was not created to aid you. Are we getting it? So in, in verse 3, what we are seeing there is that the law has no power to keep man from sinning. The law has no power to keep the flesh, to put the flesh in the part of righteousness. So the law is impotent. However, in this part of the scripture, verse 26, the weaknesses is only talking about your limitation in your knowledge. 
It's not talking about you being impotent and unable to pray. So it means that, if that means that it is our limitation of knowledge, then it means that you are actually praying and the Spirit is helping you to pray. You are praying and you are praying in the Spirit. So that means the prayer it is participation in the Spirit. So in this scripture, the, spirit, the, the scripture shows us that the Spirit is doing what? It's helping us to pray, right? It's aiding us to pray. Hallelujah. Do we get that clear? So when we get this clear, we have to move uh, forward. So, now we know that it's a participation in the Spirit. That is why when, when we are called to pray, you know, some people called me one time and they're like, hey, your church, you know, they just tell us to pray. Sometimes they don't even tell us what to pray. They just say pray in tongues and you're like, you're waiting for many prayer points. And you're waiting for the next prayer point. It is what? Participation in the Spirit. You are in the Spirit, right? The Spirit of God is in you and is in me. And when we come together, we do what? We pray. So you participate in it. All right. So the problem, however, is that we pray about the wrong things most of the time. Right? So I'm going to highlight a number of those things that we pray about and we justify them even with the scripture. So if we debunk that, then we'll be able to come into why we pray. So what are those things that we pray for, right? Can someone give me one of those things? What are things you pray for? You say health, yes, you pray for good health for your eyes, you know, so that you can stop using glasses, no problem. <laughs> All right, so what else do we pray about? Food. We pray for food. What else? Financial breakthrough. Hallelujah. Somebody wants financial breakthrough here. All right, what else? Husband. Houses. Hallelujah. Now, we are mentioning them. The reason is because we know, I want to believe that we know that these are not why we pray. Do we know that? All right, so let's go through the scriptures. The first thing is the problem. We pray about problems and food. Things we should not pray about. Problem and food. That's the first thing. Problems and food. Now, let's go to Genesis 28. And let's see a man who had a problem. Pastor Fred was teaching about this on Sunday. I think it was Sunday, yes. And was talking about Jacob having to make a vow to God in the place of communication with God. So Genesis chapter 28, verse 20. It says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I go, I will, and he will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. <laughs> and all of that you give me, I will give you full attempt. Now this is a man that does not have a deep understanding of God yet. It's a man Whose limitation of who has a limitation when it comes to the knowledge of prayer? Do you get it? So this is a, this is just an, this is a, a, a sample of someone who does not understand God yet. At this point in time, what did Jacob did? Jacob had just ran away from trouble, right? He just ran away from trouble. He stole somebody's you know birthright and is running looking for a refuge. He was like a fugitive. So. His only prayer was for God to bring him out of that natural state. You know, that problem is a natural problem, him and his, his brother. To bring him out of that state so that he can have peace. And while he's going, he can have bread to eat. And God should now bring him back to his father's. Now, this is not why we pray. Right? So, in the, in the, in the Old Testament, 
you know, in the epistles, which is our main place where we learn as believers how to pray, we don't find this kind of prayers. You can put on all those scriptures in your heart that we do, but we don't. Right? So you see him asking for bread. Now, until there's an encounter with God, before he began to understand that, I don't need to ask for bread. I don't need to ask for him to take me and bring me back to my father's house. Right? And we saw that subsequently. When he said, I will not leave you unless you was. You bless me. Now, this guy was... Did he, did he have riches at that time he was saying this? Did Jacob have riches when he was telling that angel to bless him? He did, right? So what does that blessing mean? Do you get it? So that blessing would not be the multitudes of cows. It would not even be the bread he was talking about. You see the change in an understanding. When there's increase in knowledge, your prayer life improves. That is why you are here today. When there is increase in knowledge of God, of the things of the Spirit, your prayer life improves. So we see that a man was transformed when he understood God much more. Hallelujah. The second thing that we'll be checking is money. And I'll just throw it out. Can anybody just find me a place in the scriptures that tells us to pray about money? And I'm serious about it, like money. Did you find anywhere in the scripture, in the epistles, even in the Old Testament, that says pray for money or pray that the money will come to you? Did you find anywhere in the scriptures? Now, the point where the scriptures, most of the time, the scriptures does not use money, right? It uses riches. It uses the word wealth, right? The scripture uses wealth and it uses riches. And there's actually no place where it tells you in the epistles for you to pray for riches. Rather, the scripture in the epistles refers to the riches you have. Do you get it? It rather refers to the riches you have. So when it comes to money, there are not things you should pray about. And I'm saying, I'll get there and we'll see many things. Now, the only place in Matthew, which is Matthew 6, verse 26, with Jesus himself, verse 24, rather, Matthew 6, verse 24, if you can put it, Jesus himself had to bring riches to the table of discussion. It's not that he was complaining to God. No, he had to bring it to the table of discussion. Why? Because he realized that the unbelief of men, there's one thing that was affecting it, was riches. The unbelief they had, right? The unbelief they had, what was affecting it was the riches. So, riches had become an hindrance to their home. That's why he said you cannot serve God. So, he said no one can serve two masters. So, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will devote to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, he's not putting God and money at par. No. He's trying to tell you that there is a, there's something in your heart that is blocking your belief is affecting your faith in God, and that is money. Are we getting it? So that is the, the part of the scripture that you can even put out yourself and say, okay, maybe Jesus talk about money. The next thing is our enemies. Hallelujah. In Africa and where we come from, we pray so much about enemies. You know, I celebrate churches who do that, you know, because I know, uh, or, you know, I know this, this knowledge thing, you know, we need to keep learning. You know, we need to keep learning. 
Now, Matthew 5, verse 44. Should we pray against our enemies? Actually, against our enemies. It says, no. I'm sorry. Matthew 5, verse 44. The question is, should we pray? And I'm already putting it that we shouldn't pray against our enemies. Now, read what Jesus says, and I'm going to interpret this to you. So, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who do what persecute you. Love your enemies, right? And pray for those who persecute you. Now, Jesus was talking about something that is happening around them. The physical, right? He's not talking about Satan. He's not talking about demons. He's not talking about principalities. He's talking about people who persecute them because of their faith. They hate them. So he's saying that if anyone hates you because of your faith, you pray for the person. That is what it means. It's not, it does not mean someone who is beefing you. It does not mean someone who is, you know, trying to use some gymnastics to actually shake you. Or someone who does not seek your progress. Someone who hates. No, it's not talking about those. So those guys, they have been dealt with. It's talking about someone who hates you because of your faith in him. So that is why he, should, he said what? Pray for them. Why? Because when you are, if you, if you read the history of church, when you are being persecuted, right? The Bible teaches what they call good conduct in persecution. If you read First Peter, it teaches them how it teaches the, the people that are in exile how to conduct themselves despite persecution, right? Because in that conduct, people might believe, right? They conduct themselves, they preach the gospel, and they can believe. So you don't rebel against someone who is persecuting you. You don't try to defend yourself. You say pray for them. So these are not the enemies, actually, that we even always refer to. The enemies we always refer to is the one that we find in 1 John 5.18. 1 John 5.18. Can you go there? And you will see reason why you should not pray against your enemies. I'm serious about it. It says, we know that everyone who, has, who is born of God, who has been born of God, does not keep us sinning. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not what? Touch him. Now he's talking about the evil one. He's not talking about your physical enemies. He's talking about Satan. The fact that Christ, who is born of God, you are in him. So the evil one cannot touch you. Do you get that? So the life I live, I live it in Christ Jesus, right? The life you live, you are, you are now in Christ. So the evil one cannot touch you because Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? You have Christ in you and he protects you. So the evil one here is talking about the devil. He's not talking about your enemies. He's not talking about someone who is seeking, you know, your, your fall, the way we put it in Africa. Right, are we together? So, we get that right. So, we don't need to pray about it because you are in Christ. But when it comes to principalities and powers, you don't pray about it. You rebuke them. Hallelujah. You rebuke them. Why? Because in the last catechismus, I'm glad that I'm the one who talked about authority in Christ. I talked about authority in Christ and I said that you have authority over them. Now, Ephesians 1 made you know that everything has been put under his feet. Right? So, you are in Christ and you have authority over these principalities and powers. So when it comes to those principalities that you don't pray for them, you don't pray against them, you rebuke them, right? Because you have authority. The power is resident in you. Are we together? So if you feel that there's a torment, there's anything that is, just rebuke it in the name of Jesus. And that is it. Right? So you don't pray for them to die. You don't pray for them to fall. You don't pray. For, 
moreover, say Christ triumphed over this people in Colossians. He said he triumphed over them. Having made an open shame of them, right? What did he do? He triumphed over them, right? So if he made an open shame of principalities and power, he triumphed over them, then they have no power. You have the right to cast them away. So we don't pray about those things. Now, other things that we pray about and we justify with scriptures is our needs, right? Like visa, travels, uh, money. Uh, what else did I write here? Food and all those things. Now, we justify it with this scripture I'm going to pull up, right? Philippians 4.19. Let's pull up Philippians 4.19. You can take me from verse 18 to verse 19. Yes, thank you from verse 18. We know that everyone who are... I'm sorry, this is not it. Lydia, help me. Be kind. All right. He said, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received Epaphroditus, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, and what's pleasing to God. The next verse. He said, And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He's talking to their needs. The question is, what is their need? Right, so Paul is trying to say that you guys have been able to give me gifts and you have been kind to me. And my prayer for you, the church, in Philippi, is that he will supply you. So what is the need of this church? And what are those needs that can be met according to his riches in glory? Because there are some needs, I don't want to be too fast, that the Gentiles seek. And you don't need the riches of his glory. So there are some needs that the words, the Gentiles seek. That Jesus will tell you, they do the same. We're still going to come to that scripture. So what is the need? Now the church in Philippi, right? The Philippians, right? It's actually a church facing persecution. Did you get that? And Paul constantly tell them, rejoice. Rejoice. Be glad. Rejoice. Be glad. Their need is comfort and peace. The next verse. No, go break. Which is in glory. All right, next next verse. To our God the Father, to Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Is that the last verse? No, that's not the last verse. Um, I think that scripture tells us. I have to check it in my scripture because I know I found it. Their need, because they were going through persecution, right, is actually the peace of God. Right, so um, I'm trying to find it here. Okay, I couldn't find. It. So not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases in your credit. Verse seven. Yes, thank you, sir. Now he said, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guide your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the okay. I'm just going to read this again. I have received full payments and more supplied. I haven't received from Epaphroditus the gifts sent to you, an offering. So God shall supply your need according to its needs. There's a point, there's a part that refers to the fact that the peace of God would be their experience. Now, because they are a church, the Philippians are a church that's facing persecution, they needed the peace and the comfort of God. So their needs were not gifts because they had gifts to give out. 
Do we get it? Their needs were not physical needs of what to eat because they have been supportive to Paul. So if they have been supportive to Paul, they have a bed, they have a different need. Their need is comfort in the time of persecution. Peace in the time of persecution because they have all the need in terms of the physical needs. So we can appropriate these as our physical needs, but you need to know that you can't because the context of the whole picture of Ephesians or Philippians rather is a, is a church going through challenges and their needs can be met through the riches that is in Christ Jesus. That is why Philippians, that is why that's uh, Philippians 2, we say is there an encouragement in Christ? There is. Is there a comfort in Christ? There is. Is there a participation in spirit in Christ? There is, right? So that is Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. So he already told you that there is comfort in Christ. There is love in Christ. There is encouragement, right? There is participation in the spirit in Christ. So when he comes here, you know that their need is actually those encouragement and peace. Hallelujah. Yes, if there's any consolation in Christ, it's then comfort. So we read this already. So that is the need of this. So for you to use this, you need to check the context of what is happening in that church. Hallelujah. Now, the next one that we always pray for, that I'm trying to, you know, debunk, is that we always pray, Father, show me your glory. Let your glory fall and let me experience your glory. Now, it is a prayer for someone who Christ does not live in him. In fact, some of us will, okay, all right, let's go to where we, we learned that from. Exodus 33, 18 to 23. I think Pastor Lou dealt with this in the last gym, right? Exodus 33. Can we go there quickly? Should we pray for the glory of God? Like, you're born again, you have the Spirit of God inside of you. Should I pray for the glory of God? Like, oh, let your glory come in and things like that. All right, are you there? And he said, please show me your glory. Continue. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to you. whom I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now, who is praying this prayer? Who is praying? Moses. And by the knowing of the New Testament, we know that they operate by the coming of the Spirit upon them, right? Is he a prophet? Yes. So, it is necessary for him that after all he has experienced, right? After all he has experienced, he needed more. So, he's still seeking something external. Do you get it? He's still seeking, you know, after all the miracles and everything, he's not still satisfied. Like, no, there is more. Are we together? Should a new generation Christian, a new believer who has the Spirit of God be praying for this? No. That is the answer. That is the answer. I will answer it with this scripture, right? I will answer it with this scripture. Agai, Agai 2 verse 9. Agai 2 verse 9. I will answer it with this scripture. Agai 2 verse 9. Now, Agai 2 verse 9 says, The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give you peace, says the Lord of hosts. Now, we pray with this one as well. And we say, oh, the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. My glory in 2021 shall be greater than my glory in 2022. And as I enter into 2023, these are things we do, right? Hallelujah. 
Who is the temple of God? What was the previous temple? The one Moses built. That was the temple. So it means that my glory, right, what is in me, it is greater than those ones that had existed in Hebrews. So it's not talking about glory upon, no, 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 it's talking about the fact that the new place where God will be living, right, because he had not lived in those temples. Right now, the new place where God is living is inside me. So the glory of this temple is greater than the former, right? So it's not something to use to pray. So the understanding we are giving you is that when you have the Spirit of God, the glory of God is in you. That is the glory of God. That is the Spirit. That is this life that you have. So the glory of God is that eternal life that is put inside of you. Do you get it? So that is why you cannot pray that I want to see your glory because it is inside of you. Moses can pray that because it's not inside of him. So he had had experiences and he sought what? More. Now if you are seeking more, it's not because there's no more inside you. It's not because the whole of it is not inside you. Are you getting me? It's because you have not walked in the one that is inside you. All that, all the fullness of God that is inside you, you need to walk in them. So it's not like you're going to bring anything into it. So the glory of the former house is you. God is rejoicing in us. Hallelujah. God is, is doing what? He's rejoicing in us. Praise God. Alright, so the other one that we'll pray for, which I'm not going to put a scripture for, is we pray for deliverance and we pray for pray for deliverance, right? Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm just putting up this. Now, it is right to pray for deliverance in the Old Testament. It's very good. Do you get me? It is right to pray for the, if you are living in that season, in that era, it's comfortable for you to pray for deliverance. Because what they receive is a promised note of a deliverer. Are we together? They receive a promised note of a deliverer. So it is understandable to ask for deliverance, which is also salvation, right? But over time, we do this and we pray for deliverance. I know some of us are still like, no, we have to pray for deliverance. Now, if Christ saved you and gave you his life, that means that you have been delivered from darkness and translated into the kingdom of his beloved soul. Now, it will mean that in that kingdom, there is still more for you to be delivered from for deliverance. Are you getting me? So the Bible says that he has translated out from darkness, right, into the kingdom of his beloved son. So it means that you being in the kingdom, you need regular deliverance because in the kingdom, that means there's no safety. Is that what the Bible teaches? No. No. Now, people pray for deliverance because, you know, say something oppress them. You know, it's still this issue of principalities and powers that should get you angry. Like issues of principalities and power, demonic magics and magics and all those things that you should rebuke and condemn them. They are the things you come and pray for deliverance from. No, you don't pray for deliverance from them. Again, you rebuke them. Right? So you have been delivered from darkness and translated into the kingdom of the holy, the, the kingdom of the Son of God. Hallelujah. Amen. So, these are, you know, these are the things that we pray for, that we shouldn't, that is not the essence of prayer. I said, because why? The Gentiles, they do what? 
they seek these things. We'll see it while as we go. Now, another thing that helps us to pray wrongly, or that not helps us, that makes us pray wrongly, is that when we are searching the scriptures and we see the word, all things, inside are all things, we just impute money, food, anything. We just gather those things that we are, we are needing and we put it in all things. Is it true? So we say, ask, another one is anything. Ask anything. You just pack that anything and put everything that you need inside. Now, that's not how to pray. That affects our prayer because you don't know what those scriptures are talking about. Now, what is all this thing? Let's go to Matthew 6, verse 13. Is it 13? 33. encourage you after this teaching, you should go and study it, and study more, and grow. Hallelujah. Alright, so can you go from verse 31? So therefore, do not worry, do not worry, saying that what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Hallelujah. Alright, so let's, let's get set. I don't know if you have heard this somewhere, but this is what we'll learn today. It says that the Gentiles, they seek a particular all things talking about worry, what to eat, what to wear, where to go, how to sleep, your future, you know, as Pastor Fred was saying, that one of our major problems in this generation is because we are always thinking about that, our future, that we already have in Christ, and you are still thinking about it, right? So, the problem is always what to eat, what does tomorrow have, what is the next thing to do, what next, right? But it's the Gentiles, that is their own all things. This is their own normal all things. Now, in us, seek ye for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and every other thing shall be added to you. Now, we've taught this, and I've taught it, and many of us have done it, you know, that we say that you seek God, and money will follow, right? You seek God, and every other thing, your needs, will be an addition. Is that not what we teach? Right? So, we seek God, and, you know, you don't need to worry about those things. Those things will come. So, it means that if you seek God, the reign of God's kingdom in your life and you receive it. Do you get it? Because Bible's made us to know if you see if, if you seek God's kingdom, right? You seek it first and his righteousness. So when you receive that, to say that there's an addition or those things will be added will mean that you are not complete yet. Do we get it? So it will mean that there's something that is still missing in your experience. Are we together? So, it will mean that if that all things, or all things is for the Gentiles, the Gentiles seek all those things, then these all things should not be all those things again. Do you get it? So, what is adding is not all those things. Right? So, I try to check, and what I realize is that he's talking about you being complete in God. Right? So, he's saying that Seek gave us the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things are yours. 
all things are already yours because you are in the kingdom, right? So I checked the these, all these things, right? If you put the these things, it will refer you back to those things that have been discussed, right? But if you remove the these, which is not there, but for English language is imputed there, it means that, you know, you have to refer to those things. But it's referring to all that you need is in the kingdom and is complete in the kingdom. So there is no other addition. He's trying to tell you all the, all the things that you need is given to you. So it will mean that if I say, seek here first the kingdom of God, if I preach that, it will mean that I'm preaching that come to God and after that you will get money. After that your problems, will, will, the reason why Jesus even used this place, you don't know it yet. I will show you in the scriptures. What Jesus was dealing with here, right, is not needs. I will say it again. What Jesus was dealing with in this scripture is not needs. But he was telling you, right, and me, that what you have, when you, when you, when you seek the kingdom, when you receive the kingdom, you have everything. All these things are yours because you are in the kingdom. And it's not referring to the things of the Gentiles. So it means that the Gentiles seek something and I seek something. And despite being in the kingdom, I'm not still complete. I still need to go back and seek no. Seek what the Gentiles seek no. Right? So I'll tell you what Jesus was dealing with here. Now let's go to Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32. Right? We're trying to see all things and anything. And... All right. He said, who, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Hallelujah. So what is this all things now? Who knows what this all things is? It cannot be money and food again. Don't forget, that chapter was talking about the things of the spirit and things of the flesh, right? And talking about how you should walk in the spirit. Right now, if you put food there, then you have, you know, you've missed the point. If you put your personal needs there, you've missed the point. So the question is, what is all things? That we used to pray, the anything that we used to pray, what is all things and what is anything? Ephesians 1, 22. Ephesians 1, 22. He has put all things under his feet. Now go to verse 20. And let's start from there. It's a which he walked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Next. Far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be heard over all things to the church. Next which is the body, the fullness of him who fits all in all. Hallelujah. So what is all things? Like, what is, what, what is the all things that we are seeing? Here, you see that he has given you authority and power and dominion. And because you have, you have, you have gotten all those things, because you are in Christ. Do you get it? You receive those things because you are in Christ. So when you talk about all things, it's all things that is found in Christ. Right? Most of the time when the Bible says all things are for you, all things are for you, are all the things 
that you find in God. All the things that you find. Hallelujah. So the problem, when, when it comes to praying, when you see all things, your question should be, what are the things? What are the things? What, are, what is the all things? What is the anything? And your focus is to interpret that and to see that as all that you have in Christ. Right? Your inheritance in Christ. Now, if you read Ephesians 1 to maybe 14, we're seeking to read that. It tells you all that you have in Christ. Glorious inheritance and the saints. Hallelujah. Alright, so, the point is not to seek all those things because the Gentiles, they seek them. So, the all things that you are seeking is not you. You are not seeking anything because he has kept everything inside of you. Right? You have the fullness of God in you. You have, the, you have Christ established in you. It means that there is no more. All that God has, he has placed where? Inside of you. Okay? All that God has, he has done what? He placed it where? Inside of you. Hallelujah. So the question is now, why did God, why did Jesus preach Matthew 7, 7 and Matthew 6, 33 and why did he teach from Mark eleven twenty four? 24? So Matthew 7, 7, right? Let's go back to there. Let's go back there. Why do, why did Jesus, you know, keep talking about asking? He will tell you to ask. Why will he tell you to knock? Why will he tell you, you know, knock the door and to be opened? Um, do this and this will happen. Ask, knock, seek. Why is Jesus using, you know, those terms? Can you go to Matthew 20, 21 verse 21 first, please? Matthew 21 verse 21. Can we, can we quickly go through that scripture? First? So, so Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith, and do not doubt, you would, you would not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. The next. And whatever you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Now, go back to the previous verse. The question is, what was Jesus dealing with here? He was dealing with unbelief every time he comes talking about asking, talking about seeking. It deals with your own belief. It's not trying to tell you that, you know, seek and the, the emphasis, the problem there is unbelief. So assuredly, if you have what? Faith. And it's trying to tell you, okay, if you think, you know, if you think, you, you know, it's not possible, then ask. But because you have faith, he's dealing with faith. Matthew 6, 33, he said, do not be anxious for anything. That was what Jesus was dealing with. That was the main problem in that, in that context. The context was not to teach you how to ask for things or to seek what a Gentile seek. But the context was, was not, was, was, is what is for you not to be anxious. So it was dealing with you more than the things. Are we getting it? It was dealing with your faith, your belief. More than the thing. So most of the time when we come to prayer, our focus is always on the things you want to ask for. Most of the time you come, your, your issue is you want to, you, some people they come anxiously praying. Like you pray anxiously. That is why Jesus is dealing with anxiousness here in Matthew 6.33. 
He said, do not be anxious for anything, right? That is what he's dealing with first. And he's telling you, let your focus be what? The kingdom that you have received, right? As a then, yet to be received. But now that we have received. So you can go to that Matthew 7. Go from verse, verse 6. Let me see what it's doing. So do not give, uh, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under your feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Next. He said, Ask and it shall be given, seek and you shall find, and it will be opened to you. Next. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and anyone who knocks is open to. Now, or what man there is among you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or he asks for fish, he will give him a serpent. If then, being evil, if then you then being evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your father in heaven, how much more your father who is in heaven, give good things to them, to those who do what, who ask for him, who ask him. Therefore, whatever you want, okay, so I think that's all from uh, Matthew seven eleven. Now, the emphasis here is not asking for things. And here, you can even question, is it talking about prayers? That's another thing you question. Is it talking about prayers? Is that particular place talking about prayers? So, I'll just keep that and we'll go, to, we'll go to John 14, 9 to 13. The emphasis I'm just trying to point out to you is that check the scriptures as you want to use them to pray. Do they talk about prayers? They're not talking about prayers in essence, but they are dealing with the man itself, himself. So read this one again. This is another scripture, John 14, 9. So Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? Can you go back to verse 7? If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Next. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Are you following what Jesus is dealing with? He's dealing with Philip about knowing that the Father is in Christ and Christ is in the Father. Knowing that Christ and the Father are, are what? Are one. So he's dealing with what is belief. Right? So he's dealing with his belief. He's dealing with his faith. Now, read it again. So he said, the words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me that I'm in the Father. He kept repeating the same thing. Believe me that I'm in the Father. Have faith. Believe me that I'm the Father. And the Father is in me. Or else, believe me for the sake of the works themselves. You see? He's now giving an alternative that, okay, if you don't believe me that I'm in the Father, now look at what I'm doing, right? Focus on this. You know, what you see, the manifestation. The next one says, most assuredly I say, he who believes in me, the works I do, he will also do. What God is dealing with, what Christ is dealing with here, is not for you to ask for things. It's actually your belief. It's actually your faith in him, right? So he said, the works I do, he will also do. And greater works than these, he will do. Because I go to my father. The next verse. And whatever you ask in my name, now, people jump all those other readings and come to this. 
and say, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, the emphasis of this is not also asking for things. It's actually emphasizing on your belief. Right? So, he's dealing. It means that he's dealing more with the man, with you, than the things. Hallelujah. Are we together? All right. So, the question is, shall we pray for the things the Gentiles pray for? No. Because you have the kingdom in you. So, I wrote here, I wrote something. I say, if things, if these things are provided by a system, does it nullify the need for prayer? If these things are provided, like you come, some people say this thing, and all of us have said it before, that, you know, the prayer points in Nigeria or in Africa is different from the prayer points in abroad. Are we together? Have we, have we said it before, right? You've said it before. You said, you know what, you, you don't pray for, do you pray for Nepal to bring light here? Do you pray for electricity? Do you pray for the, you know why we say that thing? Do you know why all of us say that thing? You don't know. The reason why we say that thing is because we miss the essence of prayer. I will say it again. We miss the essence of prayer because rather than seeing prayer as something that builds up your faith as you pray in the Holy Ghost, you are seeing prayer as something that brings up a list to you. Do we get it? So when those lists are completed, you can easily nullify prayer and say, okay, we don't need to pray again. Do we get the point? So it means that the emphasis of prayer in Nigeria in Cyprus, in the United States, and everywhere must be consistent. Are you getting it? Otherwise, people in Nigeria will need prayer. People in abroad will not need prayer. But every man, it's a man ought to do what? To pray and not faint. So it means that all around the world, right, every man must pray. Every man has fear of God must pray. So it means that the prayer is not the thing itself that you're asking of, right? The prayer is not, you know, it's not the, the list itself, but it's actually you, right? You. It deals with you. Now, so that is why I'm now coming back to uh, the essence of the teaching, which is prayer is the participation in spirit. Now, we're going to get a series of scriptures. I've explained the fact that it is not all this list of things, because if it's all this list of things, in some certain context, these things are not needed. And it does not nullify the significance of prayer. So what makes it a universal principle that all men must pray is that it is a participation in the spirit. That brings us to the teaching again. Alright, Jude 20. Jude 20. just go to that now. Jude chapter 20, uh, verse 20. Immediately. So, but you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in what? In the Holy Ghost. Now, he said, build yourself up. So, it means that participate in prayer. It means that be, be I don't want to use the word engage because recently I've been, I've been having some, you know, grammar when it comes to teaching the word of God, you have to be careful. Like, you are engaging something, like you are tapping into something, you are trying to use something. That is what is coming. But I don't want to use the word engage, but it's you praying. That's just it. I don't want to use the word engage in prayer, like or engage prayer. 
recently it's been not been sitting well with me, <laughs> but you know, but it's, it's just something that it's personal, but I'm still trying to get it. But it's saying that building yourself up in your most holy faith, right? Doing what? Praying in the Holy Ghost. So that is participation. Yourselves, so when we come together to pray and we pray in the Holy Ghost, it is participation. So don't wait for somebody to lure you to pray. That is what it means. Don't wait for you to be charged. You don't have to charge you to pray. It's a something that comes from within you because you have the Spirit of God in you. So participation, it means that you are building yourselves up. Together, we are building ourselves up as we pray in the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So participation, prayer as a participation in the, in the Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. He said they devoted themselves, right? Said, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in what? In prayers. In prayers. They continued in that. So it means that prayer is actually something that we do. We participate in. It's not something that it's not something that you have to be cajoled to do. When they give you prayer points or they don't, I mean, there's no prayer point, you should be able to pray. Whether there's a prayer point, whether there's no prayer point, whether the keyboard is playing, whether it's not playing, you should pray. Because it is a participation word in the things of the Spirit. And if the Spirit of God dwells in you, it means that you can participate in that. The only people that cannot participate in prayer is the unbelievers, Right? And that is why what they must come into first is still belief. The prayer of, you know, coming to believe in Jesus, and I mean, those prayers are good, but what saved the man is because he believed in the gospel. Right? It's not the prayer that saves him, but because he believed in the gospel, now a man can do what? Can pray. So he said they continue steadfastly in the apostle doctrine, in fellowship, right? That same fellowship it's the same word that we find in Ephesians chapter 2, right? Chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 that talks about participation in the spirit. It's the same word that we know, koinonia, that we find in Ephes uh, Phili oh, sorry, Philippians 2, sorry. Philippians 2 chapter 1. You find it there as participation. And here, you find it as fellowship and in prayers. So, prayer is a participation in the spirit. It should not be cajoled. It should, it's something that flows out of you. Ephesians 1 verse, verse 15. Ephesians 1 verse 15. So, therefore, I also, therefore, I also, after, uh, NKJV, can you give me something simple? For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, this is participation with the Ephesians in spirit. So, Paul is, is with them in the spirit. He said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in words, in the knowledge of him. This is fellowship with the people. It's fellowshipping with them, though they are far, but in prayers. Do we get this? So it's fellowshipping with them, though they are far from him, in prayers. So that is why we can pray. 
in Cyprus, we can join anyone, all the believers around the world, we can join them in prayer. It is participation in the Spirit of God. So we see Paul here enjoying fellowship, right? That's the word, right? That's the word we use, the koinonia, enjoying fellowship with him. So it simply means that if you want to enjoy fellowship, when we come together, it means you have to pray. So fellowship is not just we come together, we talk together, we eat, and we go. No, prayer is actually the fellowship. Do we get it? So if you're saying you're going for fellowship, what you're going for is to, to fellowship, to, to pray together, to build each other up. Right? In our most holy faith. So prayer is actually that fellowship that we are holding. So of all things, if you come to church, your main priority, right, the essence is actually to pray. So if you go to a gathering and they don't teach the word, they don't pray, then that's not a Christian fellowship. That's something else. Do we get it? So if you go to a gathering, they don't teach the word and they don't pray, then there's no koinonia taking place there. That is something. That is another fellowship. And because this participation is in the spirit, is limitless. That's another thing. Prayer is the participation in the spirit. It is limitless. As a participation in the spirit, it is limitless. Like, you, you are not restricted. It has no restrictions. By restrictions, I mean you can pray anywhere in the world. You can participate and join people all around the world to pray. Because it is in the spirit. So you are not restricted where you pray. So some people say they have to go to the mountain to pray. Yes. They have to go to Jerusalem to pray. Yes. We know that those who must, those who worship him must do it in what? In spirit and in truth. So prayer is actually in spirit, right? So it is, it is without restriction. You can pray anywhere. Of course, you know, we encourage people to take some time out. You stay in a quiet place. It is not because the quiet place or the temple is where God's presence is, right? It's because you're staying away from what? From distractions. You're staying away from things that would drag you, you know, that would disconnect, you know, what you're doing, that would take you away from uh, the focus that you have. So prayer as a participation in, in the spirit is limitless. Paul is in the prison and he's doing what? He's praying. So we can be here and be praying for issues, you know, all around, for God's will all around the world and in everywhere. Ephesians 3 verse 14. This is another way. You see that post fellowship, are we together? You see that post fellowship, Ephesians 3 verse 14. Post fellowship with the churches is mostly in prayers. Because it's in prison and it does not have the privilege to be with them in person. So you discover that the way he fellowship with them is in prayer. And the way they fellowship with him is in prayer and upholding their faith. That is why he said, for this reason, before I bow down, uh, before, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, the next, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner beings. Now, if you read Ephesians 1, he talked about since I've heard of your faith in Christ and your love towards the saints. That's Ephesians 1. I do not cease to give thanks, remembering you in what's in my prayer. So the way to fellowship is in prayers. The way to fellowship is in prayer. So if somebody, if someone is in fellowship with you, he's telling you that 
I'm communing, I'm praying with you, I'm communing with you in prayers. Colossians 1 verse 3 says the same thing. Colossians 1 verse 3. I'm just trying to show you scriptures that emphasize that prayer in its essence is actually participation in the spirit. We also thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of these you have heard of, you have heard in the word of truth of faith, in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, and it's and as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now it's emphasizing the fact that since they believe the gospel he has heard of their faith and is praying for them. Now prayer is not a mood. That is the whole point of this. It is not what? A mood. It is a participation. So whether you like it or not, when you are called to pray, when they say let's stand up and pray, you just pray right? It's not a mood. It's not something that you feel to do. Do you get it? It's not something you feel to do or not to do. It is not a mood. Like, let's be in the mood of prayer. Let's, you know, pray. You, you, don't, you don't be in the mood of prayer. You just pray. So if I say, let's stand up, hold someone's hands, and pray. You just pray. Just pray in the Holy Ghost. Right? You want to wait for prayer points. You don't need to wait for prayer Just pray. And build up the person's faith. So if they tell you to pray in church and you don't know what to pray for, or the person did not give you prayer points, go to Jude 20. And just build up the person's faith. Build up your faith in the Holy Ghost. Alright. So prayer, it's not a mood. It's actually a participation. The next point is that prayer is for effectiveness in ministry. Now, these are what you should pray for. Effectiveness in words, in ministry. So when you participate, you fellowship with people, you enjoy communion with people, the reason why you do that is that it helps you to be effective in ministry. So we are, we are talking about we're talking about equipping, right? We're talking about equipping the saints, right? That is why we're here. And prayer is one of those things that helps you to be effective in ministry. Uh, have I jumped something? No, I've not jumped. Okay. Or I can quickly go to that. It helps you to be effective in ministry. Now, can we check the scripture? Luke 30, Luke verse 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 21. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Now, we just want to check the patterns of Christ praying. And at what point did Jesus pray? And did he pray at all? So, I said he helps you to be effective in ministry. Now, verse 21 says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. So, he was about to start his ministry, right? You know? And he prayed. What was he praying for? The prayer point was not there. Did they, did they write anything there? No. Nothing was written there. But it's for the effectiveness of the ministry that is about to start. 
Right? That was the beginning of the Christ ministry. That was the beginning when he, he began to choose his disciples and he began to pray. So prayer is key for the effectiveness of your ministry. So Christ himself prayed. Luke 6 verse 12. Can you go there please? Luke chapter 6 verse 12. I'm just going to give us scriptures to see that he prayed for effectiveness in ministry. So now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain and he prayed and continued all night in prayer to God. So we see that Christ himself prayed and this was just before he chose his disciples. He said, and when it was day, he called his disciples to himself and from them, he chose the twelve, whom he also named the words, the apostles. So choices in the things you do in ministry, I'm still going to come back to that, but I'm moving fast. Some of them are very intertwined. Choices of the things you do in ministry is actually breathed through the effectiveness of prayer. Right? The things you do in ministry. So Christ was about to choose his disciples and he prayed. So for effectiveness, right, you have to what? You have to pray. Mark 1 verse 35. In the morning, having a, in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he did what? He prayed. Most of that time when Christ prayed, they don't give prayer points. Did you realize things were not mentioned? They didn't say he asked for things. No. He just said he prayed. So it means that prayer is actually Christ participating and fellowshipping with the Father. Do we get it? Fellowship and it helps what? In his effectiveness in ministry. Now let me now show you one place that Christ actually said a prayer point. Right? I'll set this place then I'll move to the next one. Now Matthew 26 verse 36 to 45. So then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. Next verse. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, did you see that? So here, there's a prayer point. He said, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but what? As you, as you will. Now, Jesus had a prayer point here. And the prayer was direct. That not my will, but what? Your will. So, prayer is actually helping him to face what he's about to face. Which is the will of God. Hallelujah. So, prayer helps your effectiveness in ministry. When you want to, when, when, when you want to minister, when you're when in your ministry, it helps you to be in the will of God. To do the will of God in your ministry. So, the emphasis is that prayer changes you. Okay? Prayer changes what? You. So, that's where we are going now. It helps your effectiveness in ministry. It changes you. Now, I'm going to mention three things so that you won't misunderstand what I mean by prayer changes you. Okay? We've talked about effectiveness in ministry. We've talked about the participation in the Spirit. Prayer changes you. 
now, first, the prayer does not change your identity. So write it down now. So I mean prayer changes you. I'm going to explain what a you is. But the first thing is that prayer does not change your identity in Christ. It does not. It does not, you do not by prayer gain a nature in Christ. No. You do not by prayer gain a nature in Christ. No. It is a gift, right? You believe and you receive eternal life. So it will mean that we gain eternal life. No. So prayer does not give you an identity and prayer does not uh, change your identity. Your belief in Christ brings you into the family. So when you pray, you are only participating in what the family does. That is the family language, right? So it does not give you identity. It does not change your identity. So I will tell you that's you, what that you means. I'm going to explain what it, what it changes. Now, prayer is also not receiving an inheritance in Christ. If you go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to, to 14, it tells you all that you have. Now let's go there, Ephesians chapter 1. And let's see how those inheritance were received. Prayer does not give you an inheritance. Now, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It's a blessed be, from, from verse 3, can you help me? It's a blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us, in him, just as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to him, according to himself, according to the good pleasures of his will. Now, you've not seen prayer here. Have you seen prayer in any of these things that we're reading? No. Let's continue. To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to be to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to this good pleasure which he proposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in him, he might gather together in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Just stay there. Now, did you see in this verse anything regarding prayer? No. So it said in him we have obtained inheritance. So because you have believed in him, you have obtained an inheritance. You don't pray to do what? To obtain an inheritance. Right? So you want to pray to receive an inheritance in Christ? No. You have the inheritance and the inheritance is what is in you. So I've said it does not change your position in Christ. Seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Does not change your position. Does not change your identity. Does not change your nature. But yet, I said prayer changes you, right? So what is the you that we're talking about? What is the you? The first you is that 
prayer aligns your natural to the spirits. It aligns the things that takes place in your natural to the spirits. So it's an, an alignment with the spirit. So in your natural, you make decisions, right? You make choices. You, 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 you decide things. You exercise your will. So what prayer does is that it aligns your choices and your decisions to the will of the Father. And that is what we see in the life of Jesus. That he was not asking for things, but he was aligning himself with what? The will of the Father. So prayer helps your decisions, right? It helps your, your choices, right? So it helps the decision you make where, you know, how, how, where you should stay and how you should stay and how you, where your ministry should start, how your ministry should be, what your ministry should be. So prayer aligns you with this because you've received knowledge but you still make choices in the natural. So for all the things that take place in your natural, prayer helps you to align. You know, one pastor says that there's nothing outside there that is created to help you align with the Spirit of God. Did you get it? There is nothing outside there, like in the system of the world and outside, in the secular world, not just even in things that are bluntly, uh, clearly ungodly. Talking about secular world, there's nothing there that is created to help you align to the Spirit of God. But prayer in the kingdom helps you to align your natural with the things of God. So your choices, your decisions, right? Alright, Acts chapter 13, verse 2. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. So the you I'm talking about is what takes place in your natural, right? The choices you make, what you do. He said, and the minister to the Lord and the fasted, and the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to do. He said, separate to me, separate for me these two persons. So you see that they separated them, they made a choice to put them aside for the work the Holy Spirit has called them to do. So that's what happens in the natural. So Paul and Barnabas could have stayed and remained with the brethren. They could have, they could have stayed with the church there and decide not to go anywhere. But what does the Spirit of God do when they pray? He aligned the natural. He set them aside. Now, next verse, and see what happened. He said, then they fasted and prayed, and they laid hands on them. And they did what? They sent them away. They sent them away. So when we pray, we send some of you away. Let's put it that way. When we pray, we do what? We send someone. What, what, what it simply means is that we are able to know where God wants you to function. Do you get it? In the natural, right? You pray and you're edified here. But we, we are able to understand when we pray collectively, we know how you should function and where you should function. The choices of where you should function. So Pastor Fred was saying that, you know, until you get to the point where you are yielded, where the, the, when God says, um, I've forgotten how we put it, but to the, you say, can you help me? Yes, oh, but that's, but that's Pastor Costin's, you know, words. That's, you know, where God yields you and posts you to a particular location and you are comfortable there. Do you get it? So when we pray, right, when we pray, what it changes is that it changes your choices. Your choices, your natural man's choices, which might not be, you know, wrong, right? Is that you want to be comfortable in a normal environment. 
You want an environment that you won't have to be persecuted for ministry. But when God decides, when we pray, he aligns those choice to his own choice. Right? So you want a very comfortable place where you will not be persecuted like Canada, you know, like we usually say, and all those places. But God, God's, God's will and his desires might not be that. So when we pray in the natural, we know that you are not meant to be posted to Canada, but you are meant to be posted to where? To Calabar, or where? To Afghanistan. That is what is happening there. Do we get it? That is what is happening there. So your choices are aligned. Another thing is that your priorities, your priorities are aligned. Right? So your priorities are aligned when it comes to the things of the Spirit. Your, 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 what you desire, what you spend your time in doing, how you, how, how you live your life, this is aligned. The reason is because the fullness of God is in you. So your natural aligns with that fullness. Hallelujah. Another thing is that it aligns your focus. So what prayer does to you, the change it happens is not your spirit. It does not change your spirit. Your spirit is in line with the spirit of God. Right? But it renews your mind and aligns your natural with the things of God. It aligns your choices and your decisions with the things of God. Prayer addresses your appetites. That's another thing. It addresses your appetite. That is why the more appetite you have for prayer, the less appetite you have for the natural things. The more appetite you have for what? For prayers, the less appetite you have for the natural things. Right? It is natural, you know, to desire comfort, to be in a, you know, to buy anything you want. It's natural. It's your choice. But it aligns with God when you pray. So prayer aligns your appetite. Another thing is that prayer keeps you alert for ministry. So some of us are not alert for ministry. The moment they raise the flag that God is calling you to do this, is it that you say you are not prepared? Or, you know, I just remember the prayer that Pastor Lou was saying that they called that brother to come and minister to someone and cast out demons. And he went inside the room and it was, that was the prayer he was meant to be praying outside. He went inside to pray the prayer. You know, prayer, what it does, it, it, it makes you alert for ministry. So you are called to minister to someone. You don't have to go out to go and be, you know, I want to go and pray first. No. So prayer helps you to be alert for ministry, to be ready for ministry. So when you check your heart and you see that you are being equipped every day through the world, yet you are feeling that you are not alert for ministry. Do you know what you should do? Pray. You do what? Pray. If you feel that you are not prepared enough, pray. Your mind and your, you know, everything around you is saying that, oh, I'm not, I'm not ready for this thing. I don't. Some of you say you don't want to marry pastors. Some of you say you don't want to, you don't want to do the work of the ministry. It's because there's a prayerlessness somewhere. Some people are not here, you know. And I said I would say it today, you're not in catechismus because you have, you have a prayerlessness. The reason is because if you go to God in prayer and say, Lord, you are praying in the Holy Ghost and you pray regarding catechismus, the Spirit will tell you that's where you should be. I'm serious. The Spirit will tell you that what? That is where you should be. So prayer allows you for ministry, aligns your choices. Even when you are saying, I don't want to go, it will keep telling you that is where you should be. 
That is what prayer does to you. That is how it changes your choices. Did you get the point? It helps you to be effective in ministry and it makes you not to be an entertainer. You know, motivational speakers, you see, you know, people teaching uh, gimmicks, people teaching, where did I put it here? How did I put it here? Okay, I've, I've, I've taken it away. Tips and jingles. You know, 70 ways, all these ways and ways of doing things and getting things done. <laughs> Prayer covers all of them. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, it helps you not to be an entertainer when it comes to teaching the word. It helps you to be effective in teaching the word. Right? It changes you in that way. It prevents failure in ministry. Prayer does what? It prevents failure in ministry. So what prayer does to you is that it changes what happens in your natural, what you're saying in your day-to-day -day life, your decisions, your will. It aligns just the way it aligns the will of Christ to the will of the Father. It aligns your will, your choices, to what God wants you to do. So prayerlessness, you might be born again, but you might be making series of wrong choices because of a prayerless life. Do we get it? So because you're born again does not, make, does not mean that in your natural, you will not make some, you will make some wrong choices if you have a prayerless life. But a prayerful life, a, a life of prayer, fervency in prayer, helps you to keep aligning. You keep aligning and you know what? You make less mistakes. Can we be on our feet? Can we just be on our feet? So prayer changes you. It changes your nature. It changes what is happening. So I said it is participation in the spirit. Can we just begin to participate in prayers? Can you just rise up and begin to pray in the Holy Ghost? I just want you to participate. Pray. This is, this is fellowship. I don't need to give you prayer points. Just pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Lebra kosata labrado zanda lebre kosete legere eko prano zanda lebra kosata lakabayada. Just build yourself up in your most holy way. Just pray. Eko prano zanda lebre kosete leke payede e shata lakabayada enda lebra rose kata. I am aligning with the will of the Father. E la koprano zanda lebre kosete leke payada zalebre. Hold someone by your side. Just quickly hold someone. Hold someone by your side. Say, we align with the will of the Father. We align.